Luke chapter number one, Luke chapter number one this morning. In just a moment, our ushers are going to pass out some bookmarks. So guys, if you get ready to do that, we'll do that after the scripture reading and the prayer here. Luke chapter number one and uh, verse number 13. You find your way there, Luke chapter 1 and verse number 13, and we're going to read down through verse number 17. Everybody find that with me. And here we'll find in this chapter, or in this uh, scripture reading, we'll find the phrase that makes up our theme for 2024. Let's begin together in verse number 13. Ready? Here we go. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. I'll read verse 14. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth together. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, that's our title this morning. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's look at this idea of being ready. Ready. Let's pray this morning. Thank you, God, for giving our church, Lord, just another year of uh, uh, having, uh, Lord, a responsibility and, Lord, a privilege to shine the, the, the gospel light into this community. Lord, the world is getting darker, and as, as such, our light should be getting brighter. And yes, Lord, corporately, our light should get brighter, but, Lord, individually, as we leave this church and we head to our homes, our neighborhoods, Lord, our places of work, Lord, our uh, uh, times out shopping, our times at the gas station, our times with uh, family reunions, Lord, our light should be brighter and brighter and brighter. And so, Lord God, as we look at this truth of being ready this morning, prick our hearts and, Lord, encourage our hearts. And, Lord, help us to be uh, excited about what you'll have for us through the preaching uh, from this pulpit in 2024, Lord God, we pray that your work would be done and your will accomplished through the preaching of the word this morning. Settle our minds and our hearts. Some have driven a long ways to get here and Lord, others are uh, a little more weary in body from having gotten up early to clean snow. But Lord, help us to be uh, totally present physically, emotionally and spiritually uh, over the next few minutes. Lord, we sure do love you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, ushers, if you'd make your way forward, we have a a bookmark that we want everybody to to get, everybody here to get one, Um, whether you are a child all the way up to uh, an adult, we want everybody to get one, so ushers, just get busy passing those out, make sure everybody gets a bookmark there, and uh, we want to make sure every, every person gets a bookmark, all right? Very good. Work quick, work fast, and uh, help us with that. As you receive the bookmark, you'll see there that we have the word ready uh, broken down into uh, three different concepts. Uh, There at the top, it says ready to every good work. You find that out of uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And there are a list uh, list of good works. We'll cover those in just a minute. Ready to preach the gospel, all right? And then on the back there, depending on which side you have it, but on the other side, it says ready 
for the sun, ready for the sun, and then uh, there's a place to list some year-long prayer requests. Let's, let's begin there where it says, ready to every good work. I'm trying to buy some time here to give our ushers a chance to get one, distribute to everyone. Guys, make sure the folks in the back get one, folks out in the lobby get one. If you can, walk over to the nursery and the um, children's church and make sure the adults there get one. We want everybody to get a bookmark. Everybody to get a bookmark. It's so vitally important there. And if you lose one, we'll try to keep some extra on hand throughout the year. You can come and get one from the usher's closet there in the back. All right, I believe that pretty much covers everyone. Here's what I want you to do. All right, I want you to take a pen. And if you're not ready to do this now, okay, you can do this later. But at some point today, I want you to check the boxes that you have already completed. Have you been saved? If you've already given your heart to Christ for salvation, then uh, you are ready uh, to every good work in the sense that you are saved. Have you been baptized? Have you followed the Lord in baptism? Now, let me be clear here. Baptism is not something we do at birth. Baptism is something we do after we give our heart to Christ for salvation. I know that's controversial to some, but uh, you cannot read through the New Testament and find a single person that was baptized until after they got saved. And so you give your heart to Christ, and then you get baptized, all right? Look at that third box there. Our church offers personal discipleship. That means you go through our discipleship program, and uh, if you've not been through our church's discipleship program, leave that unchecked. Maybe you've been through another church's discipleship program. We want you to go through ours. Call me biased, but I like our discipleship program. You say, well, I've already been saved for many years. I don't need that. Well, I've already been to Bible college. I don't need that. We want everyone to go through our church's discipleship program. And uh, we want you then to turn around and help other people go through that same. So maybe that's something you need to work at accomplishing this year. How about witnessing? Are you a regular are you regular in your sharing of the gospel with others? Maybe that's not a discipline that's current in your life. If not, leave it unchecked. If it is, then you can check that one off. Do you pray on a regular basis? Are you a daily prayer warrior? All right. Sanctification, preeminence. That just means the Lord has full control and is in charge of your life. Are you regularly, daily walking with God? That's so important that you're reading your Bible and you're praying each and every day. How about church attendance? All right. Are you faithful to church week in and week out? Church membership. Some of you here have been attending this church for a while, but you've not yet officially joined our church. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. And so if you're not yet a member, leave that unchecked. If you are, you can check that one off. Are you involved in ministry service? You say, well, I serve at home. That wasn't my question. Are you involved in serving here through the local church? Sunday school or life groups, are you coming faithfully to the 930 hour and attending our life group Sunday school hour? Uh, are the fruits of the Spirit evidenced in your life? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, we'll look at that in the sermon this morning. Is there someone in your life that you've not yet forgiven? Someone in your life you know that deep down you've not yet forgiven them. Maybe it's even somebody you live with. Maybe it's a, it's a parent. Maybe it's a child adult child, maybe it's a former boss, I don't know, maybe it's a, an old friend from uh, the past that you just haven't let go of something, and so maybe this is the year where you finally cross that threshold of forgiveness. 
Are you, uh, is the Lord in charge of your life? Are you stewarding your life for the Lord? Are you living in the will of God? Are you giving uh, to the Lord through the local church? Uh, uh, is repentance a regular part of your life? Second Peter 1 gives us a list of attributes, Christian attributes there. You can go and look at those before you check that box off. Are you living the abundant life? Are you wearing the armor of God? Would you say that your home follows a Christian model? So those are some things to look at. Check the boxes that apply. Leave unchecked the ones that don't. And then work on those this year. All right? You see there the next area to preach the gospel. Ready to preach the gospel? Keep this bookmark close. And every single week, your goal is to distribute at least one gospel track. All right? In our lobby, we have something called a tract rack. And uh, that's an area where we keep gospel tracts, and uh, they're just pamphlets that have the gospel in them. We want you to take them and put them in your car. Ladies, put them in your purse. All right? Men, keep them on your person in a pocket. Maybe uh, during the winter, you have them in in your coat. And uh, everywhere you go, look to give those out. Your goal is to give out one gospel tract a week. You'd be amazed what those things can do. You'd be amazed how many people will end up in church or how many people will end up in heaven because of those being distributed. So fill your pockets up and then check the box off every week and make it your goal to give out one track every single week for 52 weeks. Then look at the other side there with me. Ready for the sun. You see there week one all the way through week 52. And you'll notice that there are three boxes for all 52 weeks. Why? Because we have a Sunday morning service, we have a Sunday evening service, and we have a Wednesday evening service. We think that you should come to all three services every single week, all right? So make it your goal to check off every box. Now, here's what I'm going to tell everybody here, all right? If you get all three boxes checked for the entire year, the next January in church, we will in some way honor you. All right? So make it your goal to get uh, all three. You say, what about vacation? All right? Well, you can go to church on vacation too. I know. I know. A lot of times we go on vacation. We take a vacation from church. Don't do that. All right? Find a good church and uh, go to church on vacation. Last uh, two weeks ago, we had flown into Las Vegas to go out on a mission trip in Arizona. We got into our hotel room about 2.30 in the morning. We went to church. You say, there are churches in Las Vegas? Believe it or not, there are. We found one and we went. And so find, you can always find a church. Get up and go to church. And so if your church has services, three times check those boxes. And then ready to pray. Here's what I want you to do with that section there. All right? I want you to think about some long-term prayer requests. Some things that you want to see God accomplish in your life in 2024. Maybe there's a spiritual battle that you've not been able to win. You can be, you can be careful, you can be discreet, but list that battle. This is the year God gives you the victory. Maybe you have a loved one that you want to get saved this calendar year. Maybe you have a wayward child that you want to come back to the Lord. Maybe there's a, a marriage in your life, whether it's yours or someone close to you, and that marriage is hurting. Put that down. Maybe you're single and you want to get married. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting God to answer that prayer. Put that down. Ask God uh, to meet some big prayers in 2024. And so I want you to utilize this all year long. All right. This will help you to gives you a checklist to know how ready you are. All right. So you can tuck those away in your Bible. I don't want that to be a distraction during the sermon, but I want you to look at that. All right. Now, before we get into the sermon this morning, I really want to plug 
uh, church tonight. I really, really want every single person that's a part of this church to be back tonight. If you're watching online because you couldn't get here due to the snow and you didn't have anyone to clean that up for you and you couldn't get here, do what you can to get it cleaned up. I will come this afternoon and help you clean snow if necessary. I mean that. That's not an empty offer. And uh, in order to help you get here tonight, I want everybody here tonight. Why? Because tonight I'm going to lay out uh, the vision for our church for 2024. And then we're going to look at a three-year plan. We're going to look at a six-year plan by 2030. And then we're going to look at a 10-year plan. Now, are we going to get all these things accomplished? Only the Lord knows that. The Lord might come back this year. All right? But the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, how many here have ever set a goal for yourself and you didn't quite make the goal in that timeline? All right. We may not meet all these goals, but you know what? You, you, you won't hit any shot if you don't take it. So we're going to lay out those goals and we want you here tonight. And so that you can see it. Now, here's what I know. You some of you are going to get here tonight. You're going to see the vision over the next 10 years and you're going to see, Pastor, that sounds impossible. Some of you are going to feel that way. And I'm going to say, pray for God to increase your faith. All right. Uh, God has increased my faith and God has uh, pushed me to pray for some big things. Sometime back, uh, I uh, announced at a church uh, Wednesday evening church service that I was praying for a miracle. And I asked some of you to start praying for a miracle with me. I'm going to unveil what that miracle is tonight in the church service. I ask of you, please, if you love this church, be back tonight at 5 p.m. If you care about the future of this church, make every effort to be back at 5 p.m. I will be sorely disappointed if this auditorium is not full tonight. I mean that. I want you to be here this evening. You say, I never come on Sunday evenings. I ask you to come to one Sunday evening service, and it's this one tonight. I want everybody back that loves this church, make every effort to be here. Show that you love the Lord. Show that you love this church. Show uh, that you can come and be in attendance. If you don't come next week, that's between you and the Lord. But if you don't come tonight, I'm going to take it personal. Amen? Be here tonight, 5 p.m. I ask of you, all right? Yeah, some of you didn't give me a gift for my birthday. The gift you can give me for my birthday is to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. Amen? All right. Uh, are there anything other, any other, I'll get down on my knees and I'll kiss your feet if that's what it takes. I ask you tonight, be here at 5 p.m., all right? Okay, our theme this year is that word, ready. Ready. Around Luke chapter 1, verse 17. One of my favorite games that I played growing up uh, was hide and go seek. How many played hide and go seek growing up? All right. Man, that game was awesome. I got into some epic hide and go seek games as a kid. And uh, we had a school building, a large church I attended growing up. Um, I think the church probably, uh, auditorium probably set something like seven, eight hundred people and then we had a large school building on top of that. And I mean, it was a multi-acre campus and uh, with lots of school classrooms. It's pretty much like a school property and a church part property all combined. And my dad was the Christian school administrator. And so he would drag me to the school with him during the summer a lot as, you know, his work was year round. And I'd be stuck there at the school for 
sometimes eight, nine, ten hours is just a small boy. And, uh, you know, there were other when we got to in-service training, other teachers would come and their kids would be there. And so there would be, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 of us kids there uh, during the summer sometimes. And uh, we get we get restless looking for things to do. And so we would play. You're talking about ninth graders down to first graders. We would play some epic games of hide and go seek. And you know the idea, right? One person stands in the corner and they count to a hundred. And sometimes when people count to a hundred, they cheat, right? One, two, skip a few, 54, skip some more, 99, 100. And that's cheating. You can't do that. You got to count all the way to 100. And then you have to count to 100 in a way that gives everybody a chance to hide. And we lived in the state of Mississippi. So it was one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, all the way up to 100. And uh, that giant property, you could go a long ways and you could make some great places to hide. And then when the person got to 100, they would turn around and open their eyes and they would say what? They would say, ready or not, here I come, right? How many of you, that's what you said growing up. Ready or not, here I come, okay? And ready or not, here I come. And there were times where people were not ready. Uh, they weren't hidden very well. In fact, they had waited until 89, 90, 91, excuse me, 89 Mississippi, 90 Mississippi, 90, to start hiding. And then uh, when that person said 100, they were easy to find. And then, man, other times people got going at one Mississippi and you were never going to find them. All right. They might still be hiding to this day. I don't know. But um, uh, listen, one day the Lord Jesus is coming back. And he's going to say, ready or not, here I come. And when he comes, what is he going to find you doing? Um, ready can mean many, many things. The word ready can mean prepared, prepared. Someone says, are you ready to take this test? You say, yes, I am ready. I am prepared. Ready can mean willing. I come in here and I say, hey, it snowed today and we don't have any nursery workers. Praise God, we have nursery workers. But let's say I said, we don't have any nursery workers. Who's ready or who's willing to go help in the nursery? The word ready also can mean alert or attentive. If I said, are you ready to take notes this morning? How many of you are ready to take notes this morning? You got a pen? All right, you got your uh, half sheet there with the outline on the back. How many of you are not ready to take notes? Be honest. How many of you are never going to take notes no matter what Pastor Lejeune? I could give out $100 bills. You still wouldn't take notes, would you? All right, so I'm just pouring the guilt all over you today. Amen. Uh, but ready can mean alert. It can mean attentive. Ready can mean prompt or quick in action. Uh, you can say he was ready uh, to take the shot on a basketball quarter. He was ready uh, to uh, score uh, the goal. He was quick in action. One way or another, all of us will meet Jesus sooner than we want to know. Maybe the catching away of the saints that Paul describes in First and Second Thessalonians and in First Corinthians and the catching away of the saints that we find in Revelation chapter 4. We know this is the rapture. Maybe, just maybe, this is going to happen in 2024. This could be the year that the Lord Jesus comes back. Amen? Now, uh, some of you here might get married in 2024. You know, the worst case scenario for you is that Jesus comes back as your bride is walking down the aisle. No! 
You could have waited just a little bit longer. Uh, right? But you get to heaven and it'll all be good. But this may be the year that Jesus raptures His church. Or this may be the year, and this one's more solemn, this may be the year that you are finally laid to rest. The reality is that no man, no man knows, no woman knows when he or she will die. I've talked about when I was in college for a short time, I had a job where I was um, doing some weed whacking, weed eating in a cemetery. The college there, the college was owned by a large church ministry, and that church ministry owned a cemetery where many of the folks who attended that large church ministry would be buried. It was also a public cemetery for the community. One summer I had some extra time on my hands, so I got hired by the maintenance crew, and they sent me over to do some weed whacking there around the tombstones. And I can remember those headstones cutting weeds off the edge of those and seeing children who were four years old and eight years old and people in their 20s who had died and people in their 30s who who had died. And listen, the truth is, you may die this year and you may meet Jesus just like that. Now, statistically, you probably won't. But we've all known people who've tragically died, unexpectedly died. How many of you are like me and you've known some people that have just died suddenly? Life is short. Life is fragile. If you took your last breath this year, would you be ready to meet Jesus? This is where we start. But this is not where we stop. Over the next three Sunday mornings... We're going to emphasize three categories of ready. We're going to emphasize this idea of being ready for the Son. Ready for, we're ready to preach the gospel. Let's say that you were, uh, you were um, at a family reunion. And a loved one said to you, man, I heard you started going to church. Yeah, I go to church. And I've seen there's been some changes in your life over the last year or two or decade or two. Well, thank you very much. What did you do that's changed your life? Would you be able to take the Bible and show them how to accept the Lord Jesus? Are you ready to preach the gospel? Are you ready unto every good work? The next three Sunday mornings, we're going to take those three topics, ready for the sun, ready to preach the gospel, ready unto every good work, and we're going to, we're going to help us see what we can do to improve in those areas. I'd like you to keep that bookmark I just gave you. I'd like you to keep that in your Bible all year long. I'd like you to keep track and make sure that each week you develop the habits that will have you ready for whatever God has in store for you. Some years ago, I called upon a young man to come off the end of the bench and go into a basketball game. I was coaching. The game was, it was tight. It was a big game. It was toward the end of the season. We were working on playoff positioning and the game was tight. We were playing a crosstown rival and we were up by one point with just a few minutes left and my uh, star player had gotten a cut on his finger. The ref forced him out of the game uh, to get a band-aid before he could go back in. And so I pulled a young man off the end of the bench and I sent him in the game, but he wasn't ready. He had not been paying attention. When I say he wasn't ready, 
He had not been watching the game to know what was going on. Instead, he had been goofing off with his buddies on the end of the bench. When I say he wasn't ready, over the last several timeouts where we had strategized and drawn up plays, he, he, he didn't even join the huddle. He, he wasn't there. Uh, he was aloof. He didn't care. At halftime, when we made adjustments to the original game plan, he wasn't, he wasn't paying attention. Uh, he was, he was busy in the bathroom stall. He wasn't ready. And, 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 and then I put him in the game and, uh, immediately, because he hadn't been listening, he turned the ball over and we lost the game. This calendar year, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Or are you just kind of coasting through the Christian life? Are you just sort of going along to get along? Do you just come to church to appease a parent? Or do you just come to church to appease a spouse? Do you just come to church to put in your religious duty? Are you just here because it's what you're supposed to do? Or are you surging forward for the Lord? If He comes back, will He find you on the sidelines, on the bench, uh, 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 tiptoeing through the tulips or just twiddling your fingers or will he find you in the game giving it your all are you ready are you ready are you ready to be called on upon uh, to do the lord's work some of you here have been sitting on the pew for years and not really involved in the work of the lord you come and you absorb the sermons and you go home and as the old adage goes you're sitting on the premises but you're not doing a whole lot to stand on the promises and it's time to get off your blessed assurance and start trusting god to give you his blessed assurance are you ready to do uh, god's work are you ready to preach the good news of salvation to your loved ones? Are you ready for Jesus to return and hold you accountable? John the Baptist came to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He took Andrew and John under his wing. He prepared them uh, to be the followers of Jesus Christ. Before Andrew and John were disciples of Jesus, they were first uh, likely disciples of John. History tells us and when Jesus came along, they were prepared to follow the Lord. Here at White Oak Baptist Church, I don't want you to be a disciple of Richard Lejeune. I want you to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will say just as Paul did, get in behind me and you all follow Follow me as I am busy following Christ. And only follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist came to make ready. And I want to know this this morning, are you ready to do the Lord's work? This year you will either become more ready or less ready to do God's work. Some of you in 2023, you went backwards in your walk with the Lord. You went backwards in your uh, fervor for the Lord. You went backwards in your devotion to the Lord. You led, read your Bible less than the previous year. You uh, you prayed less than the previous year. And this is the year, it's time to reverse that trend. It's it's the, This is the year where you get that Bible and you get that prayer journal and you get busy uh, working for the Lord and serving the Lord. This morning I will take our upcoming four sermon series that we'll look at throughout all of 2024. And I want to give you a preview of what we'll be preaching this calendar year. My four sermon points will be the titles of the four sermon series. And I'll give you just a small sampling of what each one of those will look at here. So let's take a look at God's Word. Get those half-sheet bulletins out. Get that outline there ready. And let's take notes as we go this morning. Number one, notice a heart that is ready. A heart that is ready.
someone once said, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. Some of you will not be ready because you refuse to have your heart be ready. Your heart is sick. Your heart is your heart is 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 corrupt. And you're not ready because your heart isn't ready. We know that our heart is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our mind, our will, and our emotions. And you see, for your heart to be ready, you must have a proper mindset. Some of you come into church and it's me, 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 me. Me, me, me. Serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. I haven't been in church, text me. I haven't been in church, call me. I haven't been in church, visit me. Uh, no one said hello to me in the pew. No one, uh, uh, someone was sitting in my seat. Don't they know that's where I sit? Someone was parked in my parking spot. Don't you know that's my parking spot? Uh, someone walked right by me and they didn't even say hello. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you say hello? Were you friendly? You see, if we come to church with a selfish attitude, we'll always be able to find someone who mistreats us. But if we come to church with a mindset of serving, we come to church with a proper mindset, then we have a heart that is ready because we have a mind that is ready. Instead of looking to come to church and get served, we should come to church ready to do the serving. A mindset. A, a, a ready heart is one with the right mindsets. A ready heart is one who wills himself or wills herself to obey and please God. To obey and please God. You will yourself to it. Can I tell you that there are some Sunday mornings, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, I'm the preacher. There are some Sunday mornings I wake up and I don't want to come to church. You know what I do anyway? We pay to be here, Pastor. You don't have a choice. <laughs> Pastors call out sick when they're not sick. Pastors do minimum when they shouldn't. You ever woke up not feeling like coming to church? You should be here anyway. Hey. Listen to me. We have a culture that's soft. We're soft. You ever heard this phrase? I don't feel good. There's a difference between being sick and not feeling good. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, what's the standard in your home of whether or not your kids or your wife goes to church? Do you have a fever? Do you have something that would make you contagious? If not, then get yourself to church. I don't care how you feel. Get to church. Shake it off. Amen. Sometimes we do right because we will ourselves to do right. Our mind, we need to get a proper mindset. Our will, talking about a heart that's ready. How about this one? Our emotions. You know, um, there's what we're supposed to do and there's how we feel. 
And uh, one of those is going to be the locomotive and the other one's going to be the caboose. Do what you're supposed to do and how you feel will come in behind just fine. But if you let how you feel dictate what you want, what you're supposed to do, then you're going to end up going down some crazy tracks into some crazy places. We do what's right and then the proper feelings come in behind it. Some of you need to make a choice right now. You're just going to be in church every Sunday morning this calendar year. Unless you're sick in bed with a fever, you're going to be in church every Sunday morning. That's a choice you have to make. You can make all the excuses in the world. You know what I would hate? I would hate for Jesus to come back on a Sunday morning and find me in bed. Find me cleaning my house. Find me sitting on a couch watching TV. Jesus comes back on a Sunday morning. You know where I hope he finds me? Right here at church. I want to go up, I want to go up with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen? Letter A. You want to have a heart that's ready. Letter A. Let's talk about a saved heart. I've stepped on enough toes. Turn over to Matthew 24, look at verse 36. Matthew chapter 24. This is going to be a topical sermon largely today. And we've got to pick up some speed. We've got a lot to cover. Matthew 24. Look at verse number 36. Find your way over there. Here we find Jesus talking about the last days. It's my strong opinion that verses 36 through 42 are written to us, the church age saints. Look at verse 36. Speaking of the rapture or the catching away of the saints, the Bible says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah or Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Until the day that Noe entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. They'll be totally unaware of it. Look at verse 40. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not... What hour your Lord doth come. We find Matthew 24. We find that there's going to come an event where the Lord Jesus returns. He comes down to the clouds. Catches away people off the planet. You say, well that sounds like sci-fi. It's not sci-fi, it's Bible. In fact, in the book of Acts, we're told, the angels told him, he said, the Lord Jesus is coming back just like he left. How did he leave? He left in the clouds. He's going to come back in the clouds. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4 describes an event where a trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ rise first. Those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And one day that trumpet's going to sound and all those who believed in Christ alone will be caught up out of this world and millions of people will go missing off this planet. You say, well, I don't know. Will I be taken or will I be left behind? Well, you see, to be taken, there's one thing you must do to be part of those uh, folks taken up to heaven to be with the Lord. Turn over to John chapter 3 
in verse 17. John 3, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, who's very curious, a religious leader, part of the Sanhedrin, a man who's very curious about this new prophet on the block, new man, new, new, new man on the block, new prophet on the block, Jesus, who's going around and doing miracles. And, and, and he's up, uh, there's all sorts of upheaval in the religious order because of this man named Jesus. And he comes on the scene and Nicodemus is naturally curious and he pulls Jesus to the side one night and he's asking him questions and Jesus is telling him straightforward how to become a follower of his, how to become a follower of Jesus, how to be saved. Look at verse 17. Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That word saved means to be rescued. Here's how you uh, get rescued. And one day rapture. Look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Now listen here. There is a condemnation or a curse that rests upon all of us because of our sin. You were born in sin. You were born with a sin nature. You were not born good and corrupted by the world. David said in Psalm 51, I was conceived in sin. He said, I was born in iniquity. And all of us here today are born into sin. And as a result, we're born under a damnation or a condemnation or a curse. And if you die under that condemnation, you will go to hell. But Jesus came and He died on the cross so that the condemnation could be lifted. He went through hell on the cross for my sin and for yours. And the only thing that He requires of you, we see in 17, 18, and 19, is that you believe in Jesus alone to save you. You see, He came and died. He took, the, he took the penalty of your sin on the cross. He bought the gift of eternal life. He offers it freely to you. And all He asks is that you extend the hand of belief or faith and receive that gift with your heart. When I was a boy, I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to go to hell for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I believe in you, your sacrifice. Sacrifice on the cross, your resurrection from the dead. Save my soul. And that day, as a little boy, Jesus sealed my name in the Lamb's book of life. He blotted out my sins. He threw them, by, he put them in a bag. He threw them over his shoulder. He buried them in the deepest sea. And one day he will destroy the sea in which they are buried in. My fate is heaven. My assurance is, I'm, I'm sure, uh, sure of that. I have assurance of my salvation. And you can too. If you'll come to Jesus and simply believe a heart that is ready, you see one day when Jesus comes back, if you've not believed in him alone, then my friend, you will not go to heaven and be with the Lord. You'll be left here to suffer under the rule of the Antichrist. If you still don't turn and believe one day, you'll go to a devil's hell. Letter A, let me encourage you this morning to be ready for the son of man and have a saved heart. Letter B, let's look at a steadfast Heart. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. And again, this is just a preview of the series that will begin in about a month or so. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me talk to those of you here that are saved. You have given your heart to Jesus. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Look at 1 Corinthians 3. 
Look at verse number 10. I've got a little more energy this morning to preach because we didn't have an 8.15 service and I didn't preach there. And we didn't have a 9.30 Sunday school hour, so I didn't teach there. So it's all bound up right here. So you're going to get all of it right here, right now. Amen. First Corinthians chapter, and I'm a little bit lighter on top. Amen. That helps too, being have a little more energy. Amen. Praise the Lord. First Corinthians 3, verse number 10. Look there. The Bible says, Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, he says, I have laid the foundation and another built thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Your salvation or your foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. That will never be taken from you. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward. Paul is writing here to a church, the church of Corinth. A church is a called out assembly of believers. This is to those who have put their faith in Christ. The large majority of people who attend uh, this church have already believed in Jesus for salvation. To each of you, I'd like to ask you this question this morning. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Are you consistent in your walk with God? Are you consistent in your attendance of church? Are you consistent in your demeanor and spirit toward your family? Are you consistent with the language that you use? Are you consistent in your Christian discipline? Sometime back, I sat down with a mom and dad who were dealing with some behavioral problems out of their children. As I reviewed with them biblical parenting techniques... One thing became very obvious to each one present in this meeting. This couple already knew how to be good parents. They had the how. They knew the Bible verses. They understood the structure. But their children were behaving in a way that was terrible. What was their problem? Their problem was that they were not consistent in enforcing the rules of the home. How many of you that are parents here know that at times it is hard to be consistent? Amen? Sat down with one couple one time and the wife said, man, my husband's... It wasn't this ministry, so don't speculate, amen? <laughs> said, uh, the, she said, my husband is just so, just so all over the place with his spirit. She said, one, one day he comes home from work and he's grouchy and he sits at the table and Barks at the kids or everything. She said, then the next day he comes home and he's in a great mood. And he's in such a good mood, he's throwing rolls around the table to the kids. Just go long at the table, you know. So then the next day he comes home and the kid, he's grouchy and the kid throws a roll. And he goes, That's not proper dinner manners. What are you doing throwing bread at the table? And said, my kids have no idea what to expect one day from the next out of dad here. And you know what? We all can see the problem with that. We all can see, oh, that's confusing. Imagine you were a cattle farmer and you had an electric fence set up around a large area for those cows. And uh, one week, uh, every day for a week, the electric fence was on. And then uh, next week, uh, it was off. And cows walked through the fence. 
And then the next week, three days it was on, four days it was off. And then the next week, four days it was on, three days it was off. You would have some angry cows. Wouldn't you? Some of you, that's how you live your Christian life. One week you're on, one week you're off. You read that Bible for a season, and then you neglect your Bible for two months, three months. Boy, you get in that prayer closet and you're fervent. And then you go six months and you hardly do anything beyond praying for your food or a quick prayer of desperation when you're in trouble. What we need are Christians who are steadfast. We need a heart that is faithful. Is your heart ready? Boy, beginning in February, we're going to look at several sermons about having a heart that's ready. Number two, let's talk about a home that is ready. A home that is ready. Sometime in the spring, we're going to look at um, four sermons on out of Psalm 127 about parenting, about preparing our children to be arrows. The title of that series will be Arrows. We'll talk about how to get our children ready to make an impact in, a, in an evil world and Having children that turn 18, 19, 20 years old that are ready to be fired off by their parents into a dark world and make a large impact for the Lord. And then that same month on Sunday evenings, we'll look at a series of sermon on marriage, how to have a marriage that honors the Lord. We'll look at some, some marriage principles out of Ephesians 5. Let's highlight those two thoughts right now. Letter A, notice, preparing my spouse. Preparing my spouse. Take your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 32. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse number 32. Ephesians 5 is the, is the golden standard of Christian marriage. There's a lot of people in our culture that scoff at and mock Ephesians 5. They call it uh, out of date and out of touch. And I would just say this... Uh, uh, our culture today, their divorce rate is somewhere between 40 and 55%. Um, and here's the challenge I give people. I call it my million-dollar challenge. My million-dollar challenge. Anybody here want a million dollars? Amen. A bunch of you, the rest of you are just a bunch of liars. Everybody here wants a million dollars, all right? Everybody. If we were giving out million-dollar checks in the lobby with no strings attached, everybody go get one, including me. Don't lie, amen? Um, Million dollars, all right? Here's the million dollar challenge. Find a couple that follows Ephesians 5. And both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, that is miserable. And bring them to me and I will give you a million dollars. You say, you have a million dollars? Nope, and I don't need it. Because you can't find a couple that obeys this chapter by the letter of the law and spirit of the law that's miserable. Every couple that follows this passage is happily married. Every single couple. Look at verse 32 and verse 33. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Men, you've got a lot of work on your hands. And the wife so, see that she reverence her husband. June 22nd, 2007 was one of the most important days of my life. That was the day I married Angela Segura, made her Angela Lejeune. She became my wife, and I 
took on a lifelong commitment. What was I committing to? What was it that she was committing to? Were we committing to purity toward each other? Yes. Yes. Were we committing to be faithful through good times and bad? Yes. But there has to be something more to marriage than just purity and roughing it out through hard times. Has to be something more to marriage than just that. And there is. Here's how I look at marriage. Angela is my lifelong study partner for the biggest final exam that either one of us will ever take. What test is that? We just read about it in 1 Corinthians 3. Her works will be placed through the fire. And they're either going to be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble, or they're going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. It is my responsibility to see that she passed the test when she stands before her Savior. And it is her responsibility to make sure that I pass the test when I stand before the Savior. You see, I didn't get married to Angela so I could go through life and have fun. Marriage is fun. It's not always fun. All the married couples said, Amen. Amen. It's not always fun. Hey, I've, I've never loved anybody more than that lady sitting right down there. I've never hated anybody more than that lady sitting down there right there. And if she's honest, the same is true about me. But you know what? I didn't get married to have fun. I got married to prepare her to give an account to her God one day. And she married me to get me ready to give an account to my God one day. Reality is she shares equal responsibility to get me ready. One day, listen up now, listen up, don't be easily distracted, look up here. One day, the Lord Jesus is either going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, or he's going to call me a wicked and slothful servant. You know the worst thing that could happen to me? is that God calls my wife a wicked and slothful servant. That means I didn't do my job to get her ready. Let me ask you spouses in here this morning. If your husband or wife were to stand before God right now, what would he say to him or her? You say, well, that's on her. No, 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 sir. That's on you. Well, that's on him. Oh, no, ma'am. That's on you. You say, I worry about me. You know who you sound like? You sound like Cain in the Garden of Eden. Am I my brother's keeper? You marry that person. You're in a Christian marriage. You are preparing them to give an account. Come back this spring. We're going to talk about how to get them ready in great detail. Letter B. Not only preparing my spouse, let her be preparing my children. Preparing my children. Turn over to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you're new to the Bible, Psalm is in the middle of the Bible. 
close your Bible and open it up and to the middle and you're probably in the book of Psalm. Psalm, find the 127th chapter. You love Jesus this morning? Say amen. Amen. Smile. All right, smile. I'm going to have you stand up and do jumping jacks. Amen? All right. Some of you smiled, your face would break. It's been so long since you've done it. All right? Nickname you Eeyore in a moment. All right? Look at Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Read verse 3 with me. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Read verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Verse 5 finishes. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, um, or uh, correct, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Look here. The Bible says children are an heritage of the Lord, and they are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. So the mom and dads here this morning, you can approach parenting from one of two perspectives. Number one, your attitude can be these children belong to me. Now, you may not say this, but your actions do. I will raise them up to think like me, talk like me, act like me, and be a copy of who I am or who I aspire them to be. Or you can have this perspective. These children are the Lord's. The world is dark and crooked. I will raise them up with great intentionality and great discipline to be light and to be straight. When they become adults one day, I will load them in the bow and I will launch them off into the world to make an impact for God and for good. Parents, are you preparing your children to independently make an impact for God's work or are you raising them selfishly for yourselves? A heart that is ready. A home that is ready. Number three, let's talk about habits of the ready. Habits of the ready. We'll look at this series in the summertime. Letter A, let's talk about my priorities. Again, I'm just giving you a small taste of each sermon series by introduction this morning. Letter A, my priorities. Turn over to Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. Micah is in the minor prophets. You say, Pastor, how do I find it? Good luck. Amen? Just wade through those books until you find the book of Micah. Amen. Use the glossary in the front. Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. You go to Malachi, turn back a handful of books, and somewhere in there you'll find it. Micah chapter 6. Look at verse number 8. For sake of time, I'm going to begin reading. It says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? A couple of years ago, Brother Okai on a Sunday evening in August preached out of this verse. I took copious notes and uh, 
sermon greatly helped me, Brother Okai. Thank you for that. Let's talk about those three there. What does a godly man prioritize? A godly woman prioritize? He or she prioritizes justice. Notice there it says to do justly. This means that you have established habits in your life that hold you to a place of external and internal integrity. This means that you hold not to man's standards of justice, but to God's. You hold yourself accountable and you treat people accordingly. Do justly. Do justly. Notice the next one in the verse. Micah 6, verse 8. But to do justly and to love mercy. Everyone here loves mercy. Everyone. Everyone loves mercy. When it's applied to you. Amen? You like it when you mess up and someone cuts you some slack. Alright? Everybody likes that. Okay? You ever make a deal? You know, um, I made a deal with my wife once that the last one to get out of bed in the morning would make the bed. I should have never made that deal. Amen? That was a terrible mistake. That was a terrible mistake. And you know what? If I'm the last one up in the morning and I don't make the bed, she just leaves it until I go in there and make it. All right? And uh, sometimes uh, she reminds me, you need to go in there and make that bed. And um, you know what I like? I like when I don't make the bed and she goes in and makes it for me anyway. You know what that is? That's mercy. That's her show of mercy. I love when she's merciful to me. You say, well, how about when she's the last one up? Well, I don't like mercy then. I don't like it. I remind her, you need to get in there and make that bed. You know, you're the last one up this morning. You need to make that bed. I, I don't want to show mercy. You know what? All of us love mercy when we make a mistake. You ever been pulled over for speeding? Not in the state of Connecticut, you haven't. You ever been pulled over outside the state? of? It's hard to get pulled over in Connecticut for speeding, isn't it? But you ever been pulled over for speeding? You know what you want that officer to do? You want him to give you a warning, don't you? You want him to say, I'm not even going to give you a warning. Be careful next time. Slow it down, don't you? We all love mercy. But how about when someone does you wrong? Do you love mercy then? Do you cut someone slack then? Oh, the graveyard of people's mistakes ought to be filled. Your backyard ought to be a graveyard where you just bury the mistakes of others and you give them the benefit of the doubt and you cut them some slack and you let them try over and over and over again. Why? Because you love mercy. Notice there, not only does someone with the right priorities do justice and love mercy, they walk humbly before their God. We live in a day of great humanism. Humanism. You say, Pastor Lejeune, what is the great sin of Christians in 2024? It's the worshiping of our own comfort. It's the worshiping of our own selves. It is humanism. We place ourselves before God. We place ourselves above God. We put our comforts, we put our own beliefs above what God wants. People today expect God to walk humbly before them. My friend, God is not, you're not called to have a God who walks humbly before you. You you are called to walk humbly before your God. What does that mean? That means that each day I get in my Bible and I get a greater and deeper understanding of the vastness of God and His holiness and it humbles me. Each moment I spend in proper prayer, I get a deeper understanding of how weak and small and frail I am. And I'll also understand how great and mighty God is. Look at me, church. 
You got somebody you can't forgive? Let me tell you why you can't forgive. Because you don't confess your sins to God. Because if you got on your face every day and confessed your sins to God, you'd have no problem forgiving anybody in your life. Your problem is that you think too highly of yourself and not big enough of your God. Walk humbly before that God. You say, well, you don't know what such and such did to me. And you know what? There's some evil in this world that hurts. The greatest evil in this world was when they nailed Jesus to the cross. And my sin and your sin helped put him there. Romans 5 says, when we were his enemies, he loved us. The reality is, he alone is worthy of glory, not me and you. You and I, if we got what we deserved, we're worthy of an eternity of damnation and hellfire. Never forget who you are. Never forget who saved you. Never forget what He saved you from. Letter A, my priorities. Letter B, my protection. My protection. Quickly, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Paul writes a, a, a poetic book. To the church of Ephesus, he waxes eloquent about how we get saved in the first three chapters of the book. And then the last three chapters, he talks about the behavior of those or Christianity put into practice. And chapter 6, he gets down after he's talked about all sorts of relationships. The relationship between a husband and a wife. And the relationship between a parent and child. And a relationship between an employer and employee. And all of the various relationships. And then he gets done talking about that. And he turns our attention as he closes the book. Uh, and he talks about how we stay safe in an evil world. Look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on, read that next phrase with me, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you, read it with me, church, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Imagine there was a draft in 2024 and imagine you were chosen to go across seas and fight in an active war zone or serve even in an active war zone. Imagine each night you went to sleep uncertain if you would even wake up the next morning. Imagine how ready you would always be. Imagine how that you would keep your bulletproof vest on even as you slept. Imagine how that your weapon would always be at the ready by your side. Imagine how that helmet you wore would be strapped on tight. Imagine how that belt that had your ammunition and other weapons would be securely fastened. Your demeanor, the way you stood, where you sat in a room, how you analyzed each stranger that came into your presence. This is the way that Christians need to learn to think when it comes to this world. 
Satan is our great enemy and he's, he, he's, he's seeking to tear down your marriage, destroy your character, steal away your zeal, take away your readiness. And then when he lays out his all uh, out assault, uh, you can be too weak and you're too unready to do anything about it. Each morning we need to put on our spiritual armor as described in Ephesians 6 and be ready for the spiritual battle that you face. Now, the point, larger point here is habits of the ready. I want you to write this down. Good lives are built on good habits. Write that down. Good lives are built on good habits. Poor lives are built on poor habits. Good lives are built on good habits. Poor lives are built on poor habits. If you want a good marriage, you need to establish good habits. If you want uh, uh, godly children, you need to establish good habits in your parenting. And you need to help your children establish good habits in their life. Watching endless hours of YouTube is not a good habit, alright? Uh, being good at a Minecraft and Fortnite are not good habits, amen? All the parents said, amen. amen. Uh, listen, you need to help your children establish some good habits. Listen, if you want to be a good Christian, you need the good habits of daily Bible reading and daily prayer and uh, faithful church attendance. You can't tell me you're a good Christian if you're not faithful to church. The Lord Jesus bought the church with His blood. You need to be faithful not only to attend church, but to serve at the church. The habits of the ready. You put on that spiritual armor. You're ready to go out and fight the devil day in and day out. Number four, lastly, we've seen a heart that is ready, a home that is ready, habits of the ready. Quickly, number four, notice hallmarks of the ready. Hallmarks of the ready. When a Christian is ready for the Son of Man, when a Christian is ready to preach the gospel, when a Christian is ready unto every good work, there are evidence that come poking through. There are characteristics that become visible and evident in a mature Christian who is ready to accomplish God's work. Take your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Notice a letter A, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, the end of the chapter there, verses 22 and 23, lay out for us the nine Fruits of the Spirit. Now, I want you to turn there because I know uh, many of you are familiar, if not all of you here are familiar with these verses. You've heard them before, but I want you to open your Bible and I want your eyes to look at each one and I want you to give great attention to these. All right. Verse 22, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit, read them very uh, slowly with me. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, slow it down, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. When we hear a list like this, I had to slow it down for this reason. Our minds check out about halfway through. We just check out. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What? I, you know, we get past like three. How many of you are old enough to remember memorizing a bunch of telephone numbers before cell phones? Right? I showed my kids a picture of a Rolodex the other day. They said, what is a Rolodex? They never even heard the word. 14 and 12 years old. Unbelievable, right? 
Some of you still use a Rolodex. Amen. Get with the times. It's called cell phones. Amen. Uh, but how many of you are old enough to remember when you had to remember people's phone numbers? All right. I used to have, I don't know, when I was a teenager, I had 15, 20 people's phone numbers memorized. Man, I feel really old right now. Amen. Um, and then uh, you had, by the, by the phone, you had a phone book of other numbers that you'd call. That was back when our, long, our short-term memory actually worked. Now, because of cell phones, nobody's short-term memory works. And now we have a hard time when we get past three or four in a list. The nine fruits of the Spirit. How many of them are evidenced in your life? Let me pick one out of the list. One that doesn't get talked about much. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is another way of saying abundant in patience. Abundant in patience. Are you someone who is patient over both the trivial matters of life? Let me give you some example. Traffic. Oh, I got you right there, didn't I? Gotcha. Traffic. Some of you on 15 this week said some wordy dirds you shouldn't have said, didn't you? That's the worst. How about this one? Fast food lines. Right? I mean, you ever gone inside of Starbucks? It makes you wish you'd gone through the drive-thru. Amen? Fast food lines. So impatient. How about other people's incompetence? Oh, right? Forget how incompetent you and I are. I'm talking about other people's incompetence, right? Does the fruit, listen, does the fruit of long-suffering come poking through? Or does your impatience and carnal flesh come poking through? Hey, I'm not perfect on this. Just because I'm preaching it doesn't mean I always live it. i got room to grow, amen? Somebody say, yeah, Pastor, we've seen you in traffic. We know. <laughs> How about long-suffering when it comes to Going through the troubles and trials in life that God's using to shape you into the person He wants you to be. Some of you suffer. Some of you suffer with loneliness. Some of you suffer with a chronic sickness. Some of you suffer with the heartbreak of a strained relationship. Do you know what it means to have the fruit of long-suffering? become evidenced in your life because you walk with God and you're ready? Someone who is ready is someone who has yielded themselves to God's Spirit. And as a result, they begin to see a divine temperament take over their carnal temperament. Letter B, let's finish here. Talking about hallmarks of the ready. Let's talk about the fruit of the Christian. Turn over to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I've been preaching right at an hour. I've preached quite a bit longer than I usually do, but you've been an easy crowd to preach to. We'll be done here in about the next five minutes. Please just give me five more minutes of your attention. I would appreciate that. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man... That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth 
in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Finish it out with me. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. What is the fruit of the Christian? Well, let's finish in 1 Thessalonians 2. Many of the fruits of the Christian we've already covered in the sermon this morning. The fruits of the Christian are a righteous life, a steadfast life. The fruits of a Christian are a devoted life to the Lord. The fruits of a Christian are, uh, is a life of deep, godly relationship. All of these are fruits. Uh, a life of faith, of deep, abiding, abundant faith in God. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. And we walk by faith, not by sight. And uh, these are all evidences of uh, a, a man or woman whose life is like a tree planted by the river of water that's bringing forth these fruits. But look at what Paul said. Paul, one of the most devoted Christians of his day, and maybe one of the most devoted Christians of the entire uh, church Christian era. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 18. He said, Wherefore we have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. I would have come unto you, but Satan hindered us. Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Paul says, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. You know what the greatest fruit that a Christian can have is? Seeing a lost soul come to salvation. Knowing that your testimony, your lifestyle, your witness, your lips... Help someone out of their darkness and into a place of great light. Paul said back to this church of Thessalonica, he said, My greatest crown, my greatest joy is knowing that when I get to heaven, I'm going to get to see you. Because you believed in Jesus based on my testimony. This calendar year, my hope is that each of you will commit to finding someone who is lost in their sin. Someone who is steeped in dark, cold religion and help lead them to a place of salvation and personal growth. Everybody look around. Look around the room. Everybody get a good look around the room. Now, we have a lot of people out today because of the weather. What if everybody here duplicated themselves by next year? Where would we even begin to put the people? How many of you think if you worked at it this year, you could maybe find one person between now and next year and have them here with you in church a year from now? Raise your hand. One person. One soul. One soul. You can work at that this year. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to be ready. 
Lord, many of us have been resting on our laurels at ease in Zion. Like that player that I coached, goofing off on the end of the bench, not ready to go into the game when called upon. We've been skipping church. Maybe we're here in body, but not here serving. Being more worried about being comfortable than, Lord, being alert. Lord, others here, if the rapture happened right now, they'd be left in this room because they've never given their heart to salvation. I pray, Lord, for that one or two or three, whether they're watching online or present in the room, who have not yet come to you for salvation. They do not know eternal life. They've not believed in Jesus alone. Lord, I pray today would be the day that their heart is ready. Today would be the day they give their heart and believe. Lord God, I've covered a variety of topics. It's really been a shotgun type sermon with a bunch of truth that's just been spread all across the room. Spirit of God, I need you to bring home those truths to each heart. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith in Jesus alone to save me. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because my faith is in Jesus. If that's you, would you slip your hand up right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've believed in Jesus. Would you just hold your hand up for me? Amen. You can put your hands down. Is there one here today that would say, I do not know where I would spend eternity? If I were to die today, I just don't know where I would go. If that's you today, I don't want to embarrass you. I will not point you out, single you out, but I do want to pray for you. I've had everybody bow their head and close their eyes so you can stay anonymous. But I would like to just pray for you. I'm not going to force you to come forward. I'm not going to put you under any kind of a high-pressure situation. I just want to pray for you. Is there one here today that says, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know where I'd spend eternity. If that's you, would you just hold up your hand so I can pray for you? Just slip it up and slip it back down. I see that hand. Is there anyone else this morning? I don't know where I'd spend eternity. My friend, if you raised your hand, or maybe you should have raised your hand and you didn't, the last thing I want to do is hurt you. Boy, I sure want you to leave this building today as certain of your salvation as I am. I want you to put your head on your pillow tonight knowing that if you died in your sleep, that you'd wake up in heaven with the Lord. And I invite you after the church service to shake my hand and let me take five to ten minutes and show you from the Bible how you can know you're going to heaven. Please don't leave here today until you get that matter settled. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord put His finger on something in my life today, an area where I'm not ready. If the Lord returned, I'm not ready. Boy, I'm not getting my spouse or my children ready. There's more I could do. There's more I could be for the Lord. Pastor Lejeune, here's my hand. Pray this calendar year will be the year I get ready for the Lord.